0: As we've, uh, as we've gone through this series on rewards, we've addressed several key areas and as they relate to every person, God has agenda for all of us that are here this morning. All of us share the commonality of having a physical life here on earth, but at the time that we die, everything breaks off into two different tracks. Track one, those who put their faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says we are confident in this very thing, that though we are absent from our body, we'll be present with the Lord. Those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ, the Bible teaches that they'll go to a place that we've called hell. Luke chapter 16, Jesus calls it a place of standby, that they will await the resurrection as we too await the resurrection. So all of us, regardless of whether you put your faith and trust in Christ or not, will be raised one day and reunited with your body. There will be a resurrected body. At that time, we'll experience judgment. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, they will be judged according to their works subsequent to salvation. Those who have not their deeds, Revelation 20 tells us, will be that which condemns them. Then we all go to an eternal destination. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ will be eternally with Him. The Bible tells us there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, and we'll see the new city of Jerusalem coming down from the sky, and that where He is, we will be, and there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sorrow or pain. But those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ have a totally different destination. That destination the Bible calls the lake of fire, where all those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ will be cast along with Satan and his demons, and they will experience eternal suffering and damnation. So the purpose of the series as we've gone through it is to isolate that portion of it. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says one day we will be judged, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That we will be judged according to the works that we've done after we've put our faith and trust in Christ. So there are a lot of areas that we've addressed throughout this series. We've looked at who will be evaluated and for what reason. We've looked at what will happen to us at this evaluation. All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be evaluated for the works that we do while here on earth in the flesh. We know that it will take place at the second coming of Christ. And we also know what works will earn a reward and what works will not. Now the question then is, how do we earn God's reward? If we will be judged one day for the works that we do while in the flesh, if these works are what will gain us um, a reward as far as God is concerned, the big question then comes up at this point in our series, how do we earn God's reward? Since and if it is so that we will be rewarded, how do you earn a reward by God? It's been said that there are four different types of speakers. And uh, the first type of speaker is those who uh, do not have any notes and you don't have any idea how long they'll speak. <laughs> the second type of speaker, those who put down on the podium in front of them their notes as they read them off one by one and you have an idea how much is left. Now those are the honest ones. Then there are also those who cheat by putting each sheet of notes under the previous sheet of notes and continue to do this so you never really know how long <laughs> this is gonna take. And it says worst of all are the ones who put their notes down and do this, Only to then pick it up and start on the other side. (laughs) Well, I found out last week that there's a fifth category, and I fit into it. And that is the category of the one who says there are going to be 11 ways to earn God's rewards, and they cover two of them in 30 minutes. And all you engineer types are out there trying to figure out how he's going to do nine in the next 10 minutes. (laughs) And as you come up to me later, you say, boy, I was wondering how you are going to do that. And then they're all sitting there figuring out, okay, if it takes them two 15 minutes per point, There are 11 points. This series will go to March. (laughs) So, just to let you know, I I realize I fit in that category and I'd almost apologize if I cared what you thought. (laughs) So, what what we're gonna do this morning, uh, could you imagine if the next pay period you went in to pick up a check from your boss, it's pay time. You go in and you go to pick up your check and your boss looks at you and says, "Um, I'm sorry, there's not gonna be a check for you today. And you say, well, why not? So, well, because what we've noticed you've done over the last week or two weeks, however often you get paid, are not things that are on your job description and that therefore we don't feel like we should pay you anything. What? I mean, would you like to know that? Could you imagine going before the judgment seat of Christ someday and you think you're going to be rewarded for this performance that you've lived on this earth and He says, you know what? All, all the things that you did weren't things that I ever said you'd get rewarded for. So if you're here expecting anything from me, you are wrong and you're not getting anything. Now that sounds unfair, doesn't it? And it would be unfair if the Bible didn't teach on how to earn rewards. If the Bible didn't address how you can earn rewards and what to expect when you got there, then I'd say, gee, Lord, that's really unfair. You should have told us ahead of time. And I'd say, but I did. The problem was you never took the time to really look into it. So what I'm here to do is to help you and I so that one day as we look forward to this evaluation we can stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say Lord we did the things that you told us to do we won't even have to say that because at that point he'll say well done my good and faithful servant because you took me serious when I said to do it this way and not this way and because you've taken me serious enter into the joy of your master and we're going to experience a tremendous reward structure that God himself has set up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at that for a moment before we hit the overhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 summarizes to a great extent everything that we've been talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. If you're sitting next to someone who, you know, the other bad thing is that, you know, you have these overheads, it's kind of like watching TV every week, isn't it? You develop a habit of, well, I forget how to use my Bible. But I like it on the big screen. <laughs> so if you've got something to you, help them out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. We read, According to the grace of God which is given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. We know that foundation is Jesus Christ, and that only the works that are done, built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, are going to stand up. It says, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. This morning, we're going to take a look at how to carefully build upon that foundation which is laid, who is Jesus Christ. You and I will look at how we can earn a reward by being very careful as to what we do with our lives. The things that we do, we need to consider very carefully what we're doing. It says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, I want you to consider this morning as we go through this material that these are the things that he is talking about. When you look at the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, I want you to think about that which God is saying, if you do these things, they will earn a reward because that's the precious building material upon which we need to build upon the foundation that's already laid. It says, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. That is judgment. When it says revealed with fire, always um, has to do with judgment in the Bible. So, the judgment seat of Christ that will appear is what we're talking about when it says the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through the fire. There are going to be many of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, actually all of us, but there are only going to be some of us who are ever going to earn a reward. The Bible is very clear that though we are saved, we will have nothing in our life that we can look back upon that will be rewardable at that day when we face judgment. So the question now comes in, 11 ways to earn God's, God's reward. How to earn God's reward. We looked last week. John MacArthur in his uh, commentary on Matthew said, it's neither selfish nor unspiritual to do the Lord's work for a motive that he himself gives and is followed. We know that the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus Christ endured the cross looking forward to the reward or the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. Our Lord himself looked forward to the day that God Himself would exalt Him at His right-hand side. And the joy that would be found because of His death and His resurrection, that those who put their faith and trust in Him could too look forward to that day where we would enter into the joy of His Master. There was a great day that was coming because of His death and resurrection. And it says that Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, because He was looking forward to the joy that was set before Him. And we are included in that joy. So 11 ways, I almost feel like I'm doing a... um, uh, David Letterman routine. Eleven ways to earn God's reward. Number 11. Number 1. We'll work this way. We saw last week by entertaining people who cannot reciprocate. The Bible teaches us that, that there is a, we can earn the reward of God by entertaining people who cannot reciprocate. We have got to get to the point in our lives where we develop a lifestyle that is not what's in it for me, or if I do it for them, I expect them to do it for me as well. The Bible says that we are to give, we are to give graciously, and we are to choose carefully again, which we just talked about. Be careful how you choose in what areas that you want to give, because you only have so much resource available to you, you only have so much time available to you. God says we need to be careful how we invest that resource and time that God has given us. Where are you, where are you um, investing it? If it's so that you can reciprocate from those who you are investing in, then God says, I tell you the truth, you have your reward already, but there will not be a day that you'll be judged by Jesus Christ who says, hey, I'm going to reward you too. No, you've already got your reward. I think if we could rethink in 1989 where we're spending our time, where we're spending our resources and become careful to build upon the foundation laid, which is Jesus Christ, that we will begin to help those who can in no way help us. God says, then truly I say to you, if you trust me, there'll be a day, even though you don't see it today, even though it's not reciprocated, even though it's not, uh, we owe them a dinner because of whatever, it's I will repay one day. He promises where he says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the first way we can earn God's reward is by entertaining people who cannot reciprocate. Number two, we saw last week, that uh, we can earn the reward of God by assisting people who represent the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, 41 through 42 says that anyone who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if any, anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The Bible says that if we assist those men and women who are righteous men and women, who are men and women that are prophets or are called by God to be doing a certain work, that we will share in their reward as well that we will receive a prophet's reward, we will receive a righteous reward, that we are all in a team together and all of us have a role in the body of Christ. Some of the, uh, it says in second, uh, 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18 it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. But, by the way, double honor. What's this smile? I, I like this. This is my life verse. No, just kidding. So especially it says that it will be worthy of devil honor. It's talking about money. Very specifically. It says that if they rule well, uh, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he was threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The Bible is very clear. Some of the ugliest conversations that have ever taken place in churches have to do with the question of how much money should a pastor make or how much money should the missionaries be supported by or which, where should they live, or what standard of living should they have. I just want to say to you that the Bible is very clear that our reward will be based on how we treat men and women than in their position. So we need to be very careful, again, how we choose to build. And the Bible also is very clear that the standard by which you judge is the standard that you shall also be judged. It's a very difficult issue, and you know why? Because we like to camp on the very few people who are abusing their positions and we read about the elaborate and the extravagant and the air-conditioned dog houses and things like that. So what we come down to is we begin to conclude that anybody who is a pastor should not have anything at all worldly because, after all, they're spiritual creatures, And uh, although we are not. And somehow there's a double standard that goes on. The Bible's clear. The way that we treat those people is how we, too, will be rewarded. We need to understand that. Number three. The Bible is very clear. If you want to earn a reward by God, we need to give of ourselves or our stuff without fanfare. Matthew 6, stuff. That's, uh, it's Greek, I think. Uh, uh, well, you know what it is, though. It's not like i got to explain it. Matthew 6, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have, the, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Bible says that if you want to earn a reward by, from God, that is to uh, give anonymously of yourself and of your, your possessions. Uh, one former president, when he was asked how he chose his cabinet, responded, "I chose men that had a passion for anonymity." And it's really interesting too that you know a lot of the criticism, and this isn't a, I'm not getting off on a political basis, but I want to just make a statement that a lot of criticism that people have for certain pl- uh, political candidates. You take a uh, person like George Bush, for example. Well, George Bush was quiet. We, we didn't really know much about him. Um, he really didn't do anything according to what we saw on the surface. And I think a lot of that has to do with our perception of what we think, how we think things should be. See, if he was really doing his job, he was second fiddle. And if you're second fiddle, Leonard Bernstein was asked one time, one time during a, um, a concert that he was um, conducting, he said, uh, Mr. Bernstein, what is the most difficult instrument to play? said he responded with quick wit, wit, second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. See, the Word of God is very clear that not all of us are going to be that person that's going to be up front in the, quote, limelight or being exposed, so to speak. But every one of us can earn a reward in God's kingdom by being that person, he or she, who does not have a problem with anonymity and likes to give without anybody knowing about it. Some of the greatest rewards are going to be dished out at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be given to those men and women whom you never thought were doing anything who behind the scenes were doing much for the kingdom of God. And we've got to get off of the perception of, you've got to be visible to be earning a reward. You've got to be Billy Graham, you've got to be Mother Teresa, you've got to be doing all these great things to earn a reward in God's program. God's saying, no, you don't understand. If you want to earn a reward in my program, then you do things, and you have a passion for anonymity, and you serve me, and you serve my kingdom, and you know what? One day I will repay. The problem is that we're not a society that is geared to thinking that way. If you have a building program, I mean, you know, this... It's amazing to me how many building programs and things that you you want to raise money have to tie in somehow or another where the person who is the contributor is somehow going to be recognized. If you're going to contribute for a wing of the hospital, the hospital wing has to be named after the largest contributor. Um, God's program is not much different. You know, we see and and you're probably getting bombed this time of year with a lot of things that, you know, if you give so much money then we will recognize you with something of some sort. You know, God is saying to us, men and women, um, we need to develop a lifestyle that says, can we give without being recognized for it by anyone but the Lord himself? The Bible says, God is not unjust as to forget your works of righteousness. He's taking notes. He's keeping track. He knows what you're doing. All things are laid open and bare to him whom we have to do. There's a day Jesus Christ is watching everything that we're doing, whether people realize it or not or see it or not. So the problem then comes in, you know, you see things like... um, Uh, if for a minimum contribution, you will belong to a certain club. And it's almost like the more money that you give to a certain ministry, the more input that you have because obviously, the more spiritual you are. And we see boards that are designed by people who make a lot of money and who spiritually may be zeros. But the problem is that they contribute the most, so they're on the board and they're the ones that are giving feedback to a ministry and God's saying, we've got everything backwards. Now, I'm not... You know, or or if uh, you're trying to raise money, you have to get something in return. You know, if you give a minimum donation, you get a book or a movie or a VHS tape or something like that. And um, and it's a way to entice people to give to the Lord's work. The problem is, God says, if that's why you're doing it, you receive your reward already. So if you're waiting one day to stand before Christ and say, hey, look at all the money that I've given to all these different ministries. And he says, yeah, but look at that great tape collection and also the books you got. And how about the VHS? So, oh, I guess, oh, well, it's a trade-off. I guess we're even, aren't we? So, and, and this isn't a criticism so much of, of the ministries that are using those means to, uh, to raise money as much as it is a criticism of those of us who need to be encouraged to give in such a way. See, there wouldn't be any giveaway programs like that if you could just give and give anonymously and give without expecting anything in return. Now, the question comes up, well, uh, well shouldn't you get a receipt? I mean, after all, this is, the, you know, God has allowed us in this country to have a system where we're getting a tax break for it. And so let me just throw out some que- I'll just throw out some things that you is uh, Is that type of giving necessarily wrong? Let me just throw out some things that I've thought about and jot them down. You think about them. Because I'm sure many of you are going to wrestle with um, making some year-end contributions. But then again, we certainly don't want this to become too practical. Um, okay, how do you know if you've crossed the line? Here's a couple things to think about. Would you give... Would you give to that ministry without receiving the gift or the recognition? Would you give without receiving the gift or the recognition? According to Luke 14, do you expect repayment of some kind? And I don't care if it's buying your way onto a board of a ministry. Do you expect some type of recognition for it? Do you expect uh, your input to be louder than someone else's? Because uh, you've bought into it so to speak. You, you, you start to take on the world's concept of you're a shareholder and you own so, much, so many shares and so as a result, then you should have that percentage of input into the deci- decisions that are made. Uh, do you keep track of what you give? Well, you know, I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping track of our giving to take advantage of our tax structure. I think that would be poor stewardship. But if it bothers you and you're wrestling with that motive, then you know what? Then give back the tax break. All right. I mean, if you're really wrestling with the motive and saying, you know what, I'm really not sure why I'm giving. If I'm giving just because I'm getting a tax break and I'm not really sure, Lord, what my motivation is, then God says, okay, look, if you're getting a tax break for it, why don't you just take that tax break and give it back too? We say, well, if I give that, then the tax then I get more deduction, and then I'll just, well, then give it all away. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then the other question is, who are you giving to? See, a lot of times we start to give because we're giving to people and not to the work of the Lord. We're not given to the Lord's work, we're not given to God anymore. We begin to give to a person because that person represents the work of the Lord, but we like that person more than maybe we like what even what the ministry is doing. So we begin to give money to the person. And God's saying you've got to be careful for that because what then happens is you have this big bubble that bursts whenever you see that person manipulating and taking advantage of what was going on. The bitterness that has occurred over the last couple of years over ministries that have taken, quote, advantage of people are those people who were giving to that person and not to the work of the Lord. See, when you begin to give to people, you set yourself up for great disappointment. But if you trust the Lord that I'm giving because I I want to invest in this ministry, I want to invest in the results, and the Bible says if we invest in those results that we're equal partners in it and I want to be a part of it, even though I don't have the time to be out there fighting and doing it, I want to be involved in it. And anything goes wrong, the Lord says, hey, your motives were pure, you invested in the right thing, and I'll deal with the people that are manipulating the system, don't worry about it. So the question is, this isn't anything new. In Romans 16, it says Erastus, who was a city treasurer, his name was found on a piece of pavement that he donated to Corinth. I mean, it's like, so, I mean, this isn't a new problem. This problem's ongoing. But the question is, can you give of yourself and of your stuff without anybody knowing about it? Can you develop a passion for anonymity? Number four, the Bible says you can earn a reward by praying to God without anyone hearing but God himself. Matthew 6, 5, and 6 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in heaven. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, I want you to notice something as we go through this. You do not have to be one of the superstars of Christianity to earn a reward in the kingdom of God. There isn't a person sitting in this room who can't help someone who has a need that can't reciprocate. There's not a person in this room who cannot help someone who's in, the ministry, in a ministry position and cannot reciprocate. There's not a person sitting in this room who cannot uh, give of themselves anonymously, and there's not a person sitting here today who cannot pray for the cause of Christ or for other believers or even those in the world that cannot pray anonymously There's not one of you here who is without excuse, including myself. See, the Bible says that I think there are many of us, I just got this funny feeling that there are more of us sitting here today who get into this big uh, Elizabethan uh, prayer oracles when we're in public, and there's not a whole lot of prayer going on in private. Boy, you know what? Let's let's do the prayer at the meal here. Let's do the prayer. You know that one. It's Christmas time. Let's do the old Christmas dinner prayer. You know, let's do uh, the group prayer. I like group prayers. God's not saying there's anything wrong with group prayers, but what he's saying is, is that the only time that you pray? See, when do you pray? Do you pray when you're in a big group? Do you pray in your little Bible study? Do you pray when um, uh, it's prayer time? I like that. It's prayer time. Oh, okay, kick it in. Prayer time. As if, you know, when Paul says pray without ceasing, that there is a specific time that's prayer time. Well, there is, and there isn't. See, God is saying that each one of us, that every one of us, has the capacity to be able to, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. To be able to go to the Lord in prayer. To be able to pray for the needs of those who are around you, including yourself. God is saying that, hey, if the only time that you and I pray is that in front of other people, then you've received your reward already. See, you've got to look at your motives. Why are you doing it? God is saying that, hey, if you, if you want to be rewarded in God's kingdom... Then you go somewhere by yourself and you just pour your heart and soul out to the Lord. You come up with a list of needs, a list of people who, um, who you know are struggling and going through it. And God is saying, you know some of the greatest rewards that are going to be given out are to those men and women, those quiet, unassuming men and women who are prayer warriors who pray for people non-stop, every day, seven days a week. I mean, you've heard people in your own families, probably even. My grandmother prayed for me for 20 years before I came to Christ. She used to pray for me every day. We hear, we hear story after story and testimony after testimony. Then God promises in James 5 that the, the prayers of a righteous man affects much. That God listens and He answers prayer. We need to develop, as we go into this next year, we need to develop a ministry of prayer that's not I'm just going to pray when I'm in a big group, but I'm going to dedicate my life to being a prayer warrior because our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual darkness and that that's the weapon that we have to fight it. God says we need to pray. We need to get on our knees and we need to be people that pray and not when anybody else is around. And God says there will be a day that you will experience reward. that will be great because of it. Number five, Here's a good one. As we enter into the holiday season, God says that you and I can earn a reward by going on a spiritual diet. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will will not be obvious to men that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew six sixteen through 17, the Bible teaches that if we fast before God without anyone knowing that we will encounter a reward because of it. But the question is, you know, what, what, what's, a, what's a practical reason? Give me, some, give me a practical reason why fasting is a good idea this time of year. Now, wait a minute. Now, we're going to get really messed up here. Okay, I'll give you a chance anyway. Who wants to bite this week? For health reasons. For health reasons, okay. So if you fast for health reasons, you're going to get a reward. Oh, 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 oh! See, getting a reward's not practical. Oh, pardon me. Okay. <laughs> Just. All right. I, um. <laughs> what else? Fasting. What do you think? Okay, yeah, what's the whole purpose of fasting? Cleansing, prayer, to be able to set your focus. You know what, let me just, let me give you an example. Are you ready for something? Look at um, uh, Luke, um, what, what chapter is that, Luke? Anyway, turn to Luke and I'll figure it out when I get there. Luke? How about Luke 11? Luke eleven. You're gonna have to turn faster if you expect me to get everything done. See that? I knew it wasn't my fault. Luke eleven. Is this right? That's not right. That doesn't look right at all. But I know it's in Luke. How about Luke ten? We're looking for Luke ten. Luke 10. Yeah, it looks a lot better. Don't you like that when you pick a passage and you start reading you're going, I don't know, I think I can make it work, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luke 10, verse 38. If I can make some of my jokes and stories work, I can make anything work. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I just want to challenge you to consider something for a moment. How many of you have found it very difficult, I just don't have time to pray? I am so busy, I just don't have time to pray. Have you ever said that? Don't raise your hand. If you have, let me just throw the suggestion out to you. How much time does it take to make a meal? Too much. much. Thus we eat out. Okay. Seriously, though, how much time does it take? I mean, have you thought about how much time it takes by the time you? Well, first of all, a lot of you, and I and I know this for a fact, but a lot of you, there's a lot of time in just thinking about it. <laughs> See? It's like, I mean, do you live to eat or eat to live? I mean, what's what's the what's the rule here? I mean, it's like you just knock off lunch and you're going wonder what's for dinner. Um, so it's not like it's never on your mind, right? So it's like you got to think about it first and then you got to take the time to prepare it, and then you're going to eat it, and then you're going to clean up. Seems like a lot of wasted time to me. Amen. And <laughs> <laughs> You notice my wife's not here today. Oh. Um, so then the question comes in, as you struggle with, I just don't have time to pray, knock out a meal. Amen. Well, just, I mean, God's saying that, you know what, if you fast, not many of us fast anymore. I can tell. (laughs) You don't have to say anything. But it's like, and if we do, it's for the wrong reason. It's because, well, we're on a diet, so you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to get rewarded for going on a diet. Oh, this is great. This is good news. No, God's not saying that. He's saying that I will reward you if you take that time and that you fast in prayer and you're serious about something that's on your heart. See, the the level of seriousness is going to be indicative of how much time you're willing to put into praying about it. I mean, if you've got a burden about something or somebody... God is saying, are you serious enough about it that you can take time and you can fast and you can miss a meal and you can pray about it specifically, that you can bring it to me, then I know that you're serious about it. See, the Bible says if you'll take time to fast and pray that God will honor that, not only honor it maybe even today, but He'll also honor it with a reward in heaven. There isn't anybody in here who doesn't have a lunch break or any kind of break during the week that they can stop they can skip a meal, and that they can go to the Lord in prayer. You know, in First Corinthians seven, the Bible says that we are to with, uh, uh, not withhold, but to uh, to come to agreement in the area of sex and a relationship. That if we are to set aside the time that we devote to sex for prayer, that that is an, uh, an acceptable thing to do before the eyes of God. It's a mutual agreement. Let's set aside this time and let's pray. And if God says it's important enough to set aside sex, then I know it's important enough to set aside a meal. And that's just the way it is. 1 Corinthians 7. Set aside some time and pray. How many can do that? Every one of us that are here this morning. You can earn a reward in the kingdom of God. Bible says in Matthew six nineteen through 20 that we can earn a reward by get from God by transferring assets from earth to heaven says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The Bible is very clear that where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. And if you and I have hearts that are set on the things of this world, then God's saying that's exactly where our treasure is going to be. But if our eyes are focused on a world that we can't see, and by faith, it's Im- without it, it's impossible to please God, but we can believe that what God is saying is true, and we can focus our attention on that which is going to happen in the future and put our heart there and our treasures there, then God knows that it goes hand in hand. That you and I can earn a reward by transferring our assets from here to there. And the nice thing is, you know, the Bible never talks about self-denial in and of itself. It's never a matter of forgetting it and leaving it. Jesus Christ himself said, hey, it's taking it from here and it's putting it there where it's going to be multiplied a hundred times and where it's going to be inexhaustible. He's not saying this is a nothing-in-it-for-you for, in it for you program. He's saying, hey, look, If you can deny yourself today, if you can place it up there, and you can invest in the kingdom of God, one day you're going to catch up with it, and it's going to be multiplied a hundred times, and it's not going to exhaust, and it's a lot better off for you there than it is here where it's going to perish. Number seven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew five eleven through 12 says that we can earn a reward in the kingdom of God by suffering abuse for what we believe. This is a reward that is earned, and it is not initiated, but it's based on our response. When you and I are persecuted for the sake of Christ in, our, in the business world, in our family situations, wherever it is, God is not saying that we need to initiate to be persecuted. We don't have to do anything. That's going to happen in and of itself. He's saying that you will earn a reward by how you respond to how you are treated. Jesus Christ himself was a perfect example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he said that he laid this as an example for us, who though he was reviled, did not revile in return, who was threatened, did not utter any threats, but he entrusted himself to God himself, who judges righteously. This is an area where every one of us, if you are persecuted for the sake of Christ, the way you respond to that persecution is going to determine whether you earn a reward or not in the kingdom of God. Jesus said that he's watching it, he sees it, and, he, and blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake. How many of you are persecuted for the sake of Christ? God is saying the response is going to determine whether you get a reward. Number eight, you can earn a reward in the kingdom of God by pleasing God with your performance at work. Colossians three twenty-two through 24 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it, not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. There is not a person that's sitting here this morning who, if you're in the marketplace of some sort, is not tempted with skating every now and then. Nobody's watching, nobody's looking, no one knows what's going on. I think I'm going to take a breather. See, you and I have a greater accountability to God Himself. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, your accountability shifts from that earthly boss that you have to Jesus Christ himself who will evaluate you on what you're doing 9 to 5 every day of the week. So you and I have an opportunity to skate, and we know it. Only you know whether you're given 100% in whatever responsibilities you have. Only you and the Lord know if you're given 100% in the responsibilities that you have. You can blow smoke at the people all around you. And I know it just from the standpoint that, you know, if you're in a, in a sales type of position, oftentimes, I mean, you work harder and have no results, then sometimes you don't do anything and they just pour your way. And the world would look at it and say, man, look at this guy selling. He's just cranking up a storm. He is doing great. And the guy's out golfing five days a week. And for some unknown reason, they're just benefiting from it. And so God is saying, look, you know and I know that you're just blowing smoke at everybody. So knock it off. Give it a hundred percent. Are you giving a hundred percent? There isn't one of us here who, when we're tempted to skate, can't turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to honor you in what I'm doing. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it a hundred percent. When I have the choice to maybe not. There isn't a person here that can't earn a reward by doing that. Number nine. This is great. How many know people that don't deserve to be shown kindness? So we enter into the holiday season, this, let this be your life verses. By showing kindness, you can earn a reward by showing kindness to undeserving people. And as far as I can tell, that's just about everybody that we know. I mean really, if you think about it, who deserves it? I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, but God's saying if you show kindness, If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked." God, help us to see that we ourselves aren't deserving of any graciousness shown us by God. And as a result, He lays out the same example. As you're wrestling with people who don't deserve to be shown kindness, realize that as you extend them kindness, even though you may not even want to do it, you may not even like to do it, but it's a matter of trusting God that what He's saying is true. If you show them kindness, He's going to repay it, and it's going to be a lot better than the aggravation you're putting up with that you think you're going through to show kindness to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Number 10. You can earn a reward in the kingdom of God by serving God as a leader in the church. It says to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy of money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusting to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. First Peter tells us that you can earn a reward by serving God. See, sometimes, you know, it amazes me when you look around the church at people that are in serving positions. Doesn't You ever wonder why they do it? It's like, why do they do this? I mean, you go down to the kids' program, you go down to the nursery, you go down to all these different areas of the ministry here at this church, and you go, why are these people doing it? Well, they may not realize it or not, but God is saying that if they're doing it, He's noticing, and He will repay, and they will be blessed for it, and they will be rewarded handsomely for it, but the question is, there isn't anybody here who cannot in some way shepherd their own little group. That's why I'm convinced that discipleship is the way to go. There are many here who think that you don't know a whole lot, but you sure know a lot more than somebody who just came to Christ. And they've got saying, if you want to shepherd a flock, Just take a handful of men or a handful of women and you want to invest your life in them and and dedicate time to them. The Lord's saying, even though you've got to get up at 5 in the morning to do it and even though it's going to be inconvenient and even though you can think of a million reasons not to do it, when every other motivation fails and you get discouraged by it, just remember that I'm keeping track of it and you're going to be real grateful that you did it one day. So keep up the good fight. Keep it going. Be steadfast and movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is never in vain. Number 11 and the last one, We've seen this before in the text, but it's one that's a great one to close on. You can earn a reward in the kingdom of God by sacrifice and self-interest to serve the kingdom. Peter answered and said, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight through 30, Peter asked a very valid question. He said, Lord, we've left the fishing business. We've left everything behind. I mean, what is in it for us? And he said, hey, there will be nothing you'll ever leave behind that's not going to be replaced a hundred times. And as you think about it, as we leave this week, I want to just challenge you. There isn't anyone here who can't give to someone who can't repay. There isn't anyone here who cannot help those representing the kingdom of God. There's not a person here who cannot give anonymously, who cannot pray in solitude, who cannot fast and spend time in prayer. There's not a person here who cannot demonstrate self-control when they're abused by people around them. There's not a person here who cannot do better at what they're doing on their jobs. There's not a person here that cannot show kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it. There's not a person here that cannot serve in a leadership position in some some means or manner. And there's not a person here who can't sacrifice their self-interest today for what God says He promises to repay a hundred times later. See, that's really what the issue boils down to. You don't have to be a biggie in the kingdom of God. Not everybody has to be Billy Graham, not everybody has to be Mother Teresa, but everybody does have to be obedient. God never expects anything less than obedience from His people. And He's saying, you want to earn a reward, then you're going to have to be obedient in these areas. One man writes, he says, In the experience of hiddenness, we learn that the ministry of small things is a necessary prerequisite to the ministry of power. The ministry of small things is among the most important ministries that we're given. In some ways, it is more important than the ministry of power, that which you see. Small things are the genuinely big things in the kingdom of God. It is here we truly face the issues of obedience and the discipleship. It is not hard to be a model disciple amid camera lights and press releases, but in the small corners of life, in those areas of service that will never be newsworthy or gain us any recognition here on earth. We must hammer out the meaning of obedience. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it? Are you willing to obey? Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we just thank you that you've taken the time to let us know how we can earn these rewards. We know it would be unjust of you to say that we expect evaluation, but we don't know anything about it. And we just thank you that you've given us this opportunity. God, we just pray that all of us can be more obedient in these areas of our lives, that we could uh, demonstrate faithfulness in the small areas or in the hidden areas. And not always be looking for things that will give us strokes or recognition, but realize that there isn't anything that we do to further your kingdom that you don't notice yourself. And God, how much more incredible it will be, the recognition that we get from you, than it is from that which we get from one another. God, help us to develop that ministry in in the weeks and in the year to come. That we can just be faithful servants, obedient to you, knowing that you are the one who will repay. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.